Of all the things that keep me up at night, money is number one. That's no joke. Money stress is real. And it's time to address the source. This is the 5AM Miracle, episode number 387. Eliminate financial stress with the founder of You Need a Budget, Jesse Meekum. Good morning, I am Jeff Sanders, and this is the podcast dedicated to dominating your day before breakfast. My guest today is a personal finance expert, speaker, business leader, and founder of You Need a Budget, or YNAB for short. He hosts the You Need a Budget podcast and is the Wall Street Journal best-selling author of a book by the same name. A self-proclaimed recovering CPA, he is deeply passionate about teaching individuals, families, and business owners YNAB's four rules to help them gain total control of their money. And now here is my interview with Jesse Meekum. So let's begin today with just a quick story of the origin, I guess, of, of You Need a Budget, of YNAB. Um, I want to kind of hear the basics around where this came from and how it began for you as kind of, I guess, your, your premier career now. Yeah, absolutely. So my my plan was to become a, a an accountant and to just kind of ride that track. I was working on a master's degree in accounting and uh, I met a girl and we got married and we were both making very little money. And then she finished up college, but she was working in social work where they still don't pay you a lot, unfortunately. So <laughs> we were just, we recognized we had to be careful with our money. You know, I mean, we were, we were fine, but uh, it was tight. And so I built just a little spreadsheet for me and Julie, my wife, for us to just watch our pennies. And it worked pretty well until uh, we decided we'd have a baby. And the big, two big things that we were not going to negotiate on, we wanted Julie to be able to quit her low-paying job and just focus on this baby. And we did not want to borrow money for me to finish out about two years of school at that point. So with those two non-negotiables in place... I was sitting there looking ahead and kind of saying like, how am I going to make this work? I can't work more part-time hours. I'm already tapped out there. What can I do? And we just had this crazy idea. Maybe we could sell the spreadsheet that we've been using for the last year that has helped to uh, poor people to amass a little bit of money. And that was kind of where it was born. So it it was basically for me and Julie. And then we had a little bit of ego, just enough to think maybe it could be for other people as well. And so... Uh, there it was born. So it was a spreadsheet for about a year and then software after that. And we've just iterated for the past uh, 17 years, basically. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's, that's, a, that's a great, it's a simple kind of origin story, but I like where it comes from because, you know, you scratch your own itch, solved your own problem, and then turn that around for somebody else, which is always, I think, always a great solution for most products. Um, so I guess for my audience and one topic that comes up frequently that I want to make sure we discuss today is really the topic of stress around money. And I feel like that's a big one that comes up in a lot of ways because, you know, my audience is filled with high achievers and people that value productivity and they have big goals in life. But one of the things that comes up with, I guess, overachievers, you call them that too, is that we, we push too hard and we have a lot of goals and we have so much we want to accomplish that and we can't juggle everything. And one of the things that comes up frequently is this kind of, you know, I'm, I'm pushing hard, but I don't have a plan for my money or there is a plan, but it's failing. Or I just feel like I'm drowning in a thousand directions. Yeah. Like, how do you approach, I guess, from that perspective of 
stress management or wanting to organize your finances so that you can minimize that or at least or find a way to alleviate it in, in a big way. Yeah. The the interesting thing is the most one of the most stressful questions we ask ourselves when it relates to money is really the question of can I afford this? So if you imagine, this is kind of a little bit of empathy here for me as well, but when you imagine someone's looking at something, maybe they want to go out with some friends and they think, can I afford this? And so our knee-jerk reaction and kind of the, the thing that people do most of the time is they'll look at their bank balance and they'll just ask themselves, kind of finger in the wind, like, is that enough to be able to go out? So can I afford this? Then if they decide it is enough, they go out. And then for some strange reason, even though they decided they had enough, they don't feel good about it. There's still stress there because then now they're wondering, was I right? Was mm-hmm. I right that there was enough? The flip side of it is if you're having a moment of backbone and willpower, uh, your friends ask you and you do this crazy thing and you say, you know what? What if we did X instead that's a lot, you know, a lot less expensive because you decided you can't afford it? In that moment, you also don't feel great. And so you have this lose-lose situation where if you say, yes, I can buy the thing, you feel guilty. And if you say, no, I can't, and you deprive yourself, you feel guilty. And that's where the crux of a lot of the, the, now that question, it hits us over and over again all the time. And if you're sharing finances with a partner, then you've just got it made even more complex with the fact that two people are asking themselves most of the time, independent of each other, can we afford this? And they're using that bank balance as kind of their, their you know, one source of information. And so I can say that it is a stressful question to ask. I will also say, and this is maybe more to the point of chatting with a bunch of high achievers, it is a strange phenomenon, Jeff, where you have someone, and I'm talking to every listener now, that is really dialed in, that is really keyed in on getting the most out of their day, being productive, adding value, like going for it. And then as soon as all of that effort, energy, focus, all of that time is converted into a dollar, suddenly they don't care about productivity anymore. And, and I, don't, I don't mean to say it in such a blanket way, but just for contrast for a moment, all of the effort you put into creating value and maximizing, you wanna just run that thread a little longer to where once the time and all that effort is converted into a dollar, you still say to yourself, hey, that's still like a unit of energy. That is still time, that is still something of value and you've demonstrated that you care about that so much, let's just run that thought process through and make sure that we have a little rigor around how we deploy that value the same way we wake up in the morning and say, how am I going to you know, deploy my energy today? So I just wanna kind of connect the dots for people because I feel like there's a breakdown sometimes. You have a high achiever and they'll say, oh, I just, I can't, you know, I'm just not a money person. And I, I hate that, this is totally wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of, I guess, to me, the way I've seen this play out with a lot of people, it comes to do with identity. So like you just said, like, I'm not a money person. I feel like what I've seen a lot is someone will, they'll make a statement like that, you know, like, I don't do X well, or this is not who I am. And what I have seen for myself, and I know this has been true for a lot of people I've worked with, is that we can we can change, we can evolve, we can become a new kind of person. And for me, uh, finances has been very much a skill set. Like I, yeah. I can learn new things, I can you know explore new arenas, and then because of that, then all of a sudden things become possible. Like, how do you approach someone who says like man, that statement? Like, I'm not a money person. Where yeah. does someone begin to become a money person so that those stressors don't seem nearly as intense? The, the nice thing is we start everyone else off you know, at the same exact spot, even if they have 30 grand in their bank account or $300. 
we start them all the same. So I'll use the the stereotypical creative person that's not good with numbers. You know, and I'm air quoting all over the place here. So <laughs> they they say, you know, I'm just money's not my thing. And what we do is we we kind of get lined up with them and we say, okay, you're a creative person. Well, let's be creative here. Let's create a system that will work for you. Like, des- like you're a, a skilled designer. Let's begin designing. But the first question we always ask is it's the same everywhere. We say, okay, how much money do you have on hand right now? And that's an easy number. Everyone knows that number because you're used to looking at your bank account on your phone. So then they get that number, say it's a grand. Then you just ask one question. You say, what does this money need to do before I'm paid again? You're not asking, can I afford something that's already staring you in the face? You have just the money and you're saying, what does it need to do? It's the equivalent of sitting at the front of your day or the beginning of a week and saying, okay, what needs to happen this week? What am I gonna do? You're being proactive. You're setting a plan in place, not rigid, because you know rigid budgets break, but this idea of proactively deciding, here's what my money will do, and in, at YNAB, we, this is rule one, we say give every dollar a job. And in that moment, that's where people start to feel control. And whether they're creative or not, or an accountant, it doesn't matter. They're getting control and they're proactively deciding what their money will do instead of have everything just come at them where they're stressing and where they're having to react, where they're maybe emotionally drained, it's the end of the day, willpower is at, at its low for the day, any number of things that are going against you We've already set the plan in place, and then it's just a matter of sticking with it. When new money comes in, you just repeat the exercise. What does this money need to do before I'm paid again? That's rule one. And there are a few more rules, but the, the essence of the whole idea is you get ahead of the demands on your money, and you start to dictate what it will do beforehand. The change in people's emotions in 10 minutes doing that exercise, it's, it doesn't get old watching the, <laughs> kind of the light bulb go, go on there. Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, David Allen's work with getting things done? Oh, absolutely. I love love that stuff. Yeah. I feel like what he discusses with this idea of getting things out of your head and onto paper and you create lists and you have these systems for everything. You know, one of the cores of his system is that because you get these things out of your head and on in, into a system, you can stop thinking about these things all the time. You can stop yes. to worry. And I feel like money is so similar. What you just mentioned here, this idea of a, a proactive plan and giving every dollar a job really says that once these things are out of my head and they're into a system and I know where the money's going, then I can stop freaking out. I can stop the worry because there is a system that I've already built that at the very least will get me through, you know, the next few weeks and we can absolutely. reassess from there. But like that's that feels like the like a big first step. Yeah, absolutely. And you are always reassessing. The one thing that's interesting if you were to draw a corollary with getting things done is this idea of projects that pop up where it's not just a one and done, but it's kind of a bigger thing and and Alan will say, "Well, we need to start breaking that up and then you know what your next steps are and that you got clarity." We're focusing on clarity in the same way for money. Our, our second rule, we call it embracing your true expenses. But if you were to draw that, you'd say, well, that's just a project. What we're doing is we're saying, well, uh, Christmas. Christmas is a project. It's bigger. It's bigger than just your monthly cell phone bill. So let's look far ahead down down the line, you know, down the calendar year. And let's say, okay, I want to spend, uh, easy math, $1,200 on Christmas. And if you have 12 months to prepare, then you would say, well, I have a monthly Christmas bill, essentially, of $100 each month. The beauty of it is, and this is, this is the exact same with Allen's system or any other well-thought-out time management system or to-do system, what, what happens is now when, when I've got some friends that just sent me a group text and they're like, hey, do you all want to go to sushi? Now I'm sitting there saying, well, I do want to go to sushi, 
and I also want to fund Christmas. And it's not that we're they're mutually exclusive necessarily, but it's just that we now get to have the information we need on hand. So instead of a bank balance that only tells you, here's what's in your bank balance, now we have a bank balance that's broken down into jobs. And it's like restaurants, you know, eating out, fun with friends, whatever category you want. Uh, I like woodworking, so I might have a little set aside to like buy the next new tool because you always need a new tool, you know, <laughs> or like uh, the Christmas fund or property taxes or a vacation. You're, you're comparing your current needs and your future needs, and you're weighing them both at the same time. It's like you have a future version of you and you, and you're both deciding. And the future you's like, hey, man, I'm going to need money for the tow truck when the car tire blows out, so throw me a little, you know? And so that idea of looking ahead, breaking up those large, less frequent expenses, and then considering those broken up expenses along with your current normal monthly, the stuff we track on our head kind of expenses, you do that, and now you're making really, really good decisions. Then you can go to sushi and have fun and not feel bad about it. Or you can decide not to go to sushi and do something cheaper and feel good about the decision. It's, it's a great place to be. I can't imagine keeping it all in my head, Julie keeping it all in her head, and us somehow still making good decisions on where things should go. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with my sponsor, Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yeah, it's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned woodworking because I literally just bought a new tool for a project I'm working on. And after I bought it, my wife was like, did you plan for that? Was that an yeah. impulse purchase? And I'm like, oh, it was definitely impulse. That was definitely a mistake impulse. on my yeah. part. But yeah, I like the idea that even to that degree that, you know, if you have these things in order, I guess you could do more impulse purchases as long as you have, I guess, a framework for you know, where the money is going and you have a plan for those bigger things like you just mentioned. Like Christmas tends to be a pretty big investment for a lot of people. And if you have, I guess, that plan in place, it says, you know, the, every year this is happening. So every year there should be a plan. We know this is coming. And when those kinds of systems are in place, then there's not that, you know, holiday freak out moment. There is this more of, you know, I plan for this. I have a system yeah. for this. And then that stress doesn't need to be as intense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a Merry Christmas, right? We want it to be merry. Right. It's more, people, more, it's like they get buried. It's not merry. It's like a bury. It's like, oh, let's mm. bury ourselves in credit card debt. And then you're paying off that, you know, 
2020 Christmas, or I'll call it 2019 because 2020 was so weird, but you know, you're paying <laughs> off 2019's Christmas and we're halfway toward the next one. You know, We just gotta kind of flip it around. It's, it's amazing what happens when people start to just decide and have a trusted system that they, that they can look at and say, okay, I know what I need to do here. People actually make really good decisions in that regard. It's not, there's not a right and a wrong. There, you know, not everyone wants to buy a, their next woodworking thing and that's totally okay. We never would say don't spend money there. We're just saying, hey, uh, you know, get clear on what you care about and then make sure that your money lines up right behind that with full force, you know, full intention and you know, make things happen that way. It's, it's a great place to be. I will say though, people get really excited about rule one and two, but the third rule, we, we, you know, we call it rolling with the punches, is essentially the same thing you would do if you're managing your day where things don't always go according to plan. You know? And so our third rule is essentially saying, change your budget as needed. So if you decided to do one thing, it's, it's like making halftime adjustments. You, know, you see how the opponent's mm-hmm. playing and you kind of respond. So we're not talking about setting this plan in stone. We're not talking about deprivation at all. If anything, I'm talking about being able to buy more, feeling less guilty out, you know, as a result of it. But it is, there are a few interesting things that people tend to decide they don't care about. And we don't say don't spend money on those things. It's just interesting to watch when people start really deciding what they do want. Some of the stuff that's been kind of reactive and automatic gets squeezed out of the budget pretty, uh, pretty easily. Well, to that degree, when things for me get, I know when they get squeezed out of the budget or if I stop focusing on certain things, like I know from my personal experience, I have a very much out of sight, out of mind kind of reality. So mm-hmm. if I stop spending money on certain elements, you know, six months from now, I've totally moved on and yeah. I don't tend to care as much. And I feel like a lot of, at least in my own experience, when I make a, a transition or a shift in my finances, it really is not that big of a deal. It feels like a big deal before I make the change. And then mm-hmm. as soon as I make it, it's just like, okay, this is my new reality. I'm not buying you know, this, this extra stuff. And now here's where the money is going. And I feel like if you can get yourself over that hump, all of a sudden you can kind of redefine this is what money looks like to me now. And once that's in place, for, I mean, even a couple of weeks, it just feels like this is who I am now. Absolutely. And it's about what you want. It's not about what you can't have. This is, mm. A budget gets you what you want more than anything else. And so if you're really clear on your wants, then you just say, well, I want my money to get me my wants. That's it. And your money starts to do that. It's, they're all, uh, the idea of wants versus needs, I I've, don't really like. I have a friend that tells me if you say something's a need, that means you don't have to question it anymore. And I thought, oh yeah, that's, that's true. It's all wants. Like I want a home for my kids. I want clothing for my kids. I want clothing for myself. You know, like they're, these are all wants. You want these things. And so the question is, is your money getting you what you want? And if it isn't, let's, let's change that. And by and large, we, I mean, we, we've seen this with you know, well over a million people it works because people get clear on what they really care about. And then their money naturally, with that clarity, it naturally just follows. And it's uh, the guilt goes away, the stress goes away, and suddenly you're hitting goals you never thought possible. You know, you're digging yourself out of debt that was just hanging around way too long. You're freeing up cash flow in ways you never thought. You feel like you got a raise, and, mm. you know, and you didn't. Uh, you're an entrepreneur and you're risking a ton, and suddenly your personal cash flow is just not so stressful. It's one less stressful variable to throw at you. And then in relationships, it goes without saying. I mean, you can get the, you know, you get money stress out of a relationship, and suddenly you can have goal setting, tactical, like forward thinking, let's move the ball forward types of discussions. Not like, hey, why did you spend this or why did you spend that? 
just, well, what do we want? Okay. It's interesting how often we can get couples to have, for the first time, have discussions around what they, what they want, you know? Yeah. And if they want to go to Tahiti, make it happen, people, you know? Like, get it, get it going. Start funding that Tahiti trip right away and see if other things just get pushed out of the budget because you want that trip to Tahiti so bad, you know? I feel like that's the real key thing. I know for me, this works in goal setting as well, that when you when you pick one specific direction to go, that all of a sudden that thing gets so much more momentum because you find kind of almost like reasons to not do anything else, to Absolutely. not spend the money somewhere else, to not you know have your time go somewhere else, and that thing becomes your priority. I feel like that kind of that kind of clarity really is unique. And once you once you experience that, it's this wonderful thing. Like, wow, I could do this again and again, and just see the kind of potential long term. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, uh, the corollary with time management and money management to me, they just, they're intertwined. Mm. You know, they're, it's, it's, you get clear on something and then everything else serves that purpose and magic, you know, supposedly it's magic, magic happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned uh, your wife, Julie, and I'm, I'm curious about the idea of couples working together with money. Cause I know that in most households that at least that I know, but my close friends and family, there's usually one person that manages the money and the other person seems to be kind of oblivious to it. Yeah. Uh, or, or there's like, or there's a kind of half and half, but it doesn't really work as well. Like how does that play out for a lot of couples when they're trying to figure out, you know, we, we have this partnership we're trying to make work, but the money thing tends to be that sticking point. Like what is a good kind of working model of that, that allows couples to, I guess, to communicate, to have a system that works for both of them? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you do usually have one person that kind of tends to be more of the the nerd, you know. Like mm-hmm. I I balance the budget. I'm the one that puts the transactions in. Julie will put them in on her phone, um, you know, when she's on the go. And it took me a few years to get her used to it. The fact of the matter is, she's not a big spender, and so her her mode was basically don't spend money. It's interesting. I actually got her to kind of fix that and to not feel bad every time she spent money. You know, we're talking about a marriage of 18 years. But um, you know we've had our own discoveries along the way, so everyone's going to be a little bit different. I will say it's okay to have a division of duties. You you know couples have divisions of duties all the time. Like we you know hey will you go change the baby's diaper? Hey will you go do this? It's 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 just normal. You figure things out. Like hey I'm going to do dishes. Okay I'll vacuum. It's just pretty normal. And it's okay to have money be like that as well. Where most couples make the mistake when they're kind of saying or one of them is saying, "Hey, I think we should do the money better." They're usually the one that's in charge of it <laughs> and they're stressed about it. And then maybe they feel like their spouse is sabotaging their efforts because they're like, "Oh, money in the bank." And they didn't realize there was a utility bill due in 2 days and that, you know, they bought something on a whim. So, you have to make sure that you first have a conversation or two or three, usually on a date that is not about money. Just have it all about wants. You know, what are our mm. goals? Where do we want to be in five years? Don't talk about money at all. Just be like, what do we want? Do you want to go on a trip? I want to go on a trip. You know, where would we go? Uh, it's like, ah, well, it might be a little expensive. Like, let's not talk about expense. Just what what do we want here? You know, have those conversations. And then you can start to have the budget work toward one of those things where you might decide, let's do a vacation. And then the person that's managing the money says, you know what, I'm going to set aside... I don't know, $75 a month. And in eight months, we're going to go on this little overnighter, this little mini vacation, you know? And they do that. And then eight months from now, they spend the money. They love it. There's no guilt. There's no credit cards. And the other partner is like, oh, I like that. You can kind of get a reluctant spouse on board in that way. One thing that's a non-negotiable with spouses, though, with, you know, sharing finances, you have to be having at least a monthly budget meeting 
where the person that's doing all the number crunching and putting everything in the software and all that, where they say, hey, I'm, I'm ready for you. You know, Come on over, pull up the chair. Maybe you've got something nice to drink, like a hot cup of coffee or whatever. You, you sit down and you say, okay, does this look all okay to you? And you get their buy-in, even at the lightest level, you get their buy-in. That's how, basically how Julie and I run things. I say, hey, Julie, it's ready. You want to come on over? And she'll look it over and be like, well, what about, you know, Max needs new jeans? And I'm like, oh, okay, I had no idea. You know, I, I don't even notice that his jeans are like sprayed on, you know? So we get him the, you know, we get the money in there for the new jeans. She has a few categories she cares about more than others. And she gives her input there. And then we're basically just rolling on it. But I need her input. Can't be all me. And there's, there's a morbid side, a sad side um, that we deal with where you don't want a spouse in the event of, uh, well, one, in the event of a breakup, divorce, but also in the event of one spouse leaving prematurely. Um, you don't want to have, you don't want to leave a bunch of mysteries around mm. there. So we, we got to make sure at some basic level, financial information is shared. And uh, it's not, well, I was going to say it's not used in any form of holding it over on someone. That that oh, I feel like should go without saying. Um, but it's it's a shared endeavor. It's shared energy that creates this money. Um, even if just one person's the one making the money, it's a shared effort, you know, supporting that person. And so you want to make sure that information is shared to a degree where if you were suddenly gone for a while, uh, incapacitated for a little while, that things could go on and you wouldn't just add more stress to the spouse left behind trying to figure it all out. So that's a little bit of a dark thought, but I mean, to be frank, we deal with that uh, mm. plenty. And uh, it's it's sad to see, and it's also a, a joy to see when you have a spouse that had some forethought and was able to kind of make sure everyone was on the same page the whole time. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think about your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should check out my sponsor, Babbel. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions, without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I, that's it, it's a big aspect of, of having that relationship is having the communication and having the systems in place and the automations and all those components that allow that to be you know, you know, seamless transitions. Yeah. Um, one thing you mentioned here was this idea of categories. And, and in terms of budgeting, I know a lot of people who tend to look at their budget will kind of will group things together to figure out, you know, here's how much we're going to spend on groceries or how much on entertainments or et cetera. How do you 
Is there like a certain way that you'd like to approach a budget in terms of making sure that every important category is is adhered to or that is it more of a flex model of based upon how large the budget might be? Like, how do you approach kind of breaking down the money in that sense? Everyone will set it up differently. I would I would kind of give everyone the guidance to just go with defaults at first, just so that figuring out the supposedly perfect category structure doesn't become a hindrance to actual progress. Mm. So take the defaults for a month or two. And then, I don't know, Google, you know, optimal YNAB category setup, and you'll find countless subreddit threads, you know, about like people's different setups, and you can just peek in there and see. A lot of times people will structure it by kind of like priority of the last things they would give up. You know, and so the first things at the very top, they're the first things to get funded. Some people are saying, I, I want to make sure I'm always giving something. So that's at the very top. Mortgages up at the top, things like that. Other people will structure it more based on their pay cycle and when bills are coming due. When they're first getting started, maybe they're still having to kind of time their bills with their paychecks and make sure that's working out well. After a while, you can put everything on autopilot. You don't worry about that. But um, that's a good way to think about it when you're saying, okay, here's my first paycheck. And here are the categories that that paycheck pays for. And then here's my second. So you can go that route. It, it really, I mean, you can set it up however you want. Just don't let it slow you down, you know, on going for that ideal, really. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, when it comes to, I guess, with YNAB and other like budgeting softwares people use, like are there ways to leverage those effectively? Because I know a lot of people who, when they approach banking or you know financial management, some people like leverage those. Like I've used Quicken for a long time and I'm familiar with that setup. But if you're not familiar with like a traditional budgeting setup, like how do you kind of, how do you work in that kind of mental space of saying, this is how I want to see my money? I'm saying this from the perspective of, in the past, I've used software that my brain doesn't like. Like for some reason, I don't understand it. I don't, it doesn't work with me. And I'm, I always try to find tools that align to like the way that I want to see my information, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So the way our UI is set up, it's basically all right up there in in the front of it like you're staring at it and you're saying okay how much do i have in groceries how much do i have in entertainment how much do i have in rent it's all just right there the budget is the is the whole thing you are recording transactions to make sure or or snagging them from your bank you know we connect to your bank you're making sure those transactions all come in so that you can see how much you have left in groceries or entertainment it's it's a matter of having that front and center so when you pull it up on your phone or there's a widget on your phone even and you've got like three categories picked. You're saying, these are, these are the categories I'm going to watch. You know, they're the ones that I care about. They move the most. So maybe that's a widget on your iPhone or whatever. And that works out pretty well. The, the idea is that front and center is the information you need to make information when it matters. So we don't care about showing you your 401k balance when you're at Home Depot weighing the DeWalt miter saw or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like we need, we need Jeff to know how much is in his home improvement category or whatever. Mm. We don't, you don't need to know your 401k allocation. And so sometimes these PFM, like personal financial management software, they'll kind of give you the whole thing. And it's important to, you know, 401k is important. That's super important. But in the moment, all that matters is, is there enough money in this category for this Home Depot purchase? You know, And that's what we're trying to do with our software. If you focus on the ins and outs of your cash flow, it's strange, but the balances tend to take care of themselves and good things start to happen. You just focus on those ins and those outs and making sure that your money is lining up and doing what you, what you really care about in the moment when you're making the decision, you know, not, not when you're standing in the shower and you get some great idea and you're like, why well, I always in the shower. We want it in the moment where you're saying, should I buy this? 
And YNAB's like, yes, you should, happily, without <laughs> stress, you know, without guilt. You know, one of the things that I think people kind of fall into this, this trap, it's probably most people, I would assume, is that we tend to spend as much as we earn. And people, it's finding it difficult to spend less than they earn, or, or it's difficult to say, like, if I get a raise, I'm going to stay living as if I wasn't getting this raise. Right. Yeah. Uh, how does that play out in terms of budgeting to ensure that you don't just continually spend, 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 and that your budget just disappears regardless of your income? Yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple of things you can do. One is you can just have it come out of your paycheck off the top, just like you'd mentioned earlier, you know, out of sight, out of mind. The other way you can do is you flip it on your head and you can ask yourself what you're buying. And I like to ask people whether they're buying themselves a little bit of freedom. Are you buying mm. a little bit? I'm not saying you need to retire when you're 35 or something. That'd be great. But buy, what are you buying? Well, I'm buying stocks. I'm buying bonds. I'm buying real estate. I'm, it's, you're not saving. You're, you're eventually spending for retirement. I will eventually spend all of my money. I won't leave a dime to my kids, maybe. I'll, and I, I tell them that all the time. Like, you guys aren't getting anything. <laughs> you know, there's too many of you. We can't afford it. So we're, mom and I are just going to like... One last cruise, and then that's it, you know? So it's in that way, you, you want to, I mean, maybe you could flip it on its head and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm buying stocks, you know? I'm going to buy a lot of them. That's what, that's what you could tell yourself. And then you are spending everything. You're just spending it on stocks and bonds, things that tend to give you a little money back after a while. Um, so that's, that's one way, but automatically taking it off the top is another thing. You don't even have to put it in the budget. If it's pulled out of your check right away, just you take your net check amount, and that is what you deal with, and you spend all of that, and that's totally okay. I have this theory that you just up your, you know, by 1% every three months, just up by 1% what you contribute to your 401k or to a you know, external plan or whatever, and uh, every quarter just bump it 1%. You won't even feel it. You haven't felt the, the expense increases as, you've, as your lifestyle has inflated, and I'm careful using that phrase because I don't really... I don't really like it. It has this negative connotation as if like you move into a better house and that's somehow bad. But the idea of just 1% every quarter, see what happens. And uh, you know, three years down the road, you're saving 12% more than you were before. Five years down the road, you're, you know, you're up to 25% hmm. bit by bit. So let's just go in reverse on it where you slowly or suddenly, you know, ever so slowly, like you can't even feel it, you're spending more money. Let's just bump every quarter 1% of what you send from your paycheck and uh, you won't even feel it. You know, just go from there. I love it. Small habits. That's, that's the name of the game. Um, I'm going to shift topics on you real quick because one of the questions I always ask my guests that I love to kind of dig into is morning routines. That's one thing my podcast focuses on in a big way. And yeah. I feel like with someone like you who is you know obviously centered on these kind of financial habits i'm sure you have other systems as well that are great so i want to hear from you kind of a like a morning routine that is ideal for you or a way that you begin your day that makes you say like today can be productive today can be profitable today can be great for me uh, what do you tend to do in those days i i get up early so the uh you know the 5 a.m miracle is real over here you know <laughs> um we uh yeah i get up at 4 55 and uh get to the gym in you know within 10 15 minutes and the gym's at my house so i just i walk there but um i get the workout in early and then we've got seven kids so we have a, a lot of like demands that happen right after that and so our family we always do kind of like a morning devotional from 6:55 to 7:05 and i'm not kidding it's that we've got kids going to school at all different times they're high school all the way down to you know 1 year old so um, although he doesn't go to school, but we, 
in that way, we're just kind of accommodating the kids for the morning. So if I can, if I know that I'm up early, I get my gym workout in, and then we get the kids off to school, I can be in my office at eight o'clock. And then from eight to 8.45, I read. And uh, I sit in a chair that's not in front of a computer. It's just a chair in my office here. And it's by a window. And I, I sit and I read for a while. And then uh, between 8.45 and 9, I kind of plan my day. Uh, I might even time block a little bit. I'm not, not excessive with that, but I look at my to-do list. I use uh, an app called Things. And I've been using that for, I don't, how, I don't know how long, since I read David Allen's book mm. back in 08, probably. Um, and I trust it. I trust that all my thoughts are captured. And if it's a Monday, I process my things inbox. Um, other than that, I'm looking at the to-do list, looking at the calendar, planning the day, and then 9 o'clock and kind of get the ball rolling. So that's, that's the, rough, the rough of it. Um, but it works. I think... Just getting a, like 15 minutes of planning for me at the beginning of the day, that seems to be the, the make or break moment for me. Mm. So 8.45 to 9, I'm, I'm awake. Obviously, I've been awake for a while, and uh, blood has, has flowed already, and um, I can spend just a few minutes kind of saying, okay, here's how the day should go about. You know, here are my most important things. If it's the beginning of the week, I do establish like a priority one, two, three for the week. So I'm clear on kind of what my big movers are. And then you hope that during the week, those are being reinforced, you know, with what you're doing daily. So, you know, I, as I listed all, I'm like, oh, I mean, there's kind of a bit of structure to it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hadn't really appreciated it, but uh, early riser. And then along with that, you go to bed by nine, you know, 930. Make sure you get at least seven hours. So Nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, a, that's a really, that's a well-structured morning routine. I think that's, that's above average. I'll give you a good score there. That's, oh, okay. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. That, that. That's, that's a great intention. I, I just love the fact that you've, you know, set up side, like here are the priorities I want to make sure that I hit everything from exercise to reading to playing. The whole thing is, is built in and seven kids. I'm sure that's beyond challenging for most morning routines. So I think that's phenomenal. You have so much going for you here. And uh, I would love for our listeners to learn more about the work you're doing, about the software with YNAB and everything going on there. So where can they dig into what you're doing? So our, the best place you can go is you need a budget.com and uh, you can click on the learn tab and you can figure out kind of more along the way of our method. Like we have these four rules. I mentioned three of them. The, it really is about thinking, and we want to change how you think about your money. And so most importantly, it's the, it's the method. And then if you like the method and you think our software could help, there's a 34-day free trial. We don't ask for your credit card up front. That's sneaky. You know, <laughs> um, We're trying to get people to spend intentionally, not accidentally. So um, in that regard, run the 34-day trial. We run classes, about 150 classes a week that are all live, and you can jump into one today. And there, there'll probably be about five available today on the schedule. You can hop into one and have, have a, one of our instructors show you how the method is then translated into like, okay, here's how you do this. You know, like here's the thinking and now here's the action. So I, it's 25 minutes long and it's time well spent. So yeah, you can spend a lot of time there. I'm not really on social media at all, but uh, you're, you can email me if you have any questions at jesse at wineab.com. And I, I get back to those Mondays and Thursdays, so... Okay, perfect. I'll have those links for our listeners this week in the show notes. But uh, Jesse, this has been great. I think it's awesome what you're doing. I really commend you for the work on helping people get in control of their money because there is so much to be said about how that improves lives. So yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you, Jeff. I was happy to be here.
And for the action step this week, I want you to improve your financial IQ. Jesse and his company provide lots of resources to do just that. Begin with his podcast, and then read his book, and then download his software, or whatever order works for you. Just get started. Learn more and apply your new financial knowledge to the core of your stress about money. Nothing defeats fear and stress better than direct action. So take some direct action. His podcast, his book, his software, whatever works for you, just dig in. JeffSanders.com slash 387 is the show notes page this week. And that's all I've got for you here on the 5 a.m. Miracle Podcast this week. Until next time, you have the power to change your life. And the fun begins bright and early. Hey, it's Jeff Sanders, and I'm here to tell you about Greg McEwen and his amazing show, The Greg McEwen Podcast, part of the Yap Media Network. Want to achieve more by doing less, all while avoiding burnout? You can design a life that really matters with Greg McEwen, author of New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. His mission is to help you advocate and negotiate your way to remarkable results. Every Tuesday, Greg discusses one key topic he finds interesting and valuable through the lens of the essentialist. Every Thursday, he invites thought leaders, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and people like you for inspired weekly conversations focused on learning how to do what matters first and do less but better. His content will stir your thoughts and spark inspiration and action. And his British accents, well, that's just the cherry on top. Subscribe to the Greg McEwen podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.